last week we spoke about Kiddush. Um, by the way, Alex, I just I did a little bit of looking into Asia uh, Kyle. I'm sure you know. I mean, Asia Kyle is sort of like a, it's a poem that's like can, can like manifest a lot of different possible things. Not just you know, it could be a woman, it could be uh, Torah, it could be Shabbos. Shabbos is one of the things. So I think because of that, um, it could be speaking about Shabbos. It's like embodying everything that Shabbos represents. So it seems like that's one of the reasons that's probably like the main reason why it's read on Shabbos. Because one of the yeah, could be one of the things that, it, that the poem is referring to. I couldn't find that much more else, you know, on it. I looked through a bunch of different Siddur and whatever. Was it written on the No, uh, well, it's it's part of Mishlei. So that's part of Mishlei, uh, so there are those who say Shlomo wrote it about his mother, about Bachava. Like there's a lot of different interpretations as to who it's referring to. And one of the interpretations is that it's referring to Shah to the king of Shah. So I think that's um, and I mentioned we would also speak more about wine and why we have to stay Kiddush time, but I think I'm gonna do that. Uh, I guess I've done I'm gonna talk more about wine. I'm gonna do that today. Um, but we're gonna start today uh, talking a bit about uh, like Lecha Mishnah, right? You know that Kala. Uh, is one of the uh, main components of, of all of the meals on Shabbos. Um, so if you look in the book that I gave to you, um, it's a Okay, it is on not the first page, not the second page, but on the third page where it says Kippur Shopinok on the top and it has a uh, Separate like collectibles. You see what I'm talking about? Yes, definitely. Don't just look it up so you can see. Right, that's where the page is. Um, okay. So this is from the Shulchan Arab, the middle one. We're going to be the middle one. So we make Hamosi on two loaves of bread um, because it says that. When the Jews went out to um, collect the man, right? They collected a double, a double portion. The Amar of Ashi Chazina Rav Kahana did not get tarte u'batzachana. So Rav Ashi uh, says that you hold two, but you only you, you have you only cut one. Um, so again, you hold both in your hands and you cut from one of them. So, uh, what the person should do who's cutting it is he should cut for himself a nice big piece um, because he wants to show that this Suda Shabbos is very dear to him. So, he wants to, you know, really eat like a nice piece. Um, so, he wants to uh, show that he'd like to, you know, eat nicely at this meal, um, and not to look like he's hungry. Mm. Because presumably this is not the way a person is meant to act during the week, right? During the week when a person's making a mozi, they shouldn't just take a big chunk. You should take a little piece. Okay, on Davis, he's saying the Indian is, especially for the person who's making a mozi, to take a larger, a larger piece. If the person who's cutting is sitting around the table and there's other people there, he should eat first, okay? And then they should eat after. And you know, you're going to a bar mitzvah, right? And everybody's at a table or a Shabbat home, right? And everybody has their own individual role. So as long as you put two roles together, so everybody can do that and even if the person like at the dais didn't necessarily do that yet, okay? That's that's fine. The din has karat shabbat bebirkat hamazon. So we know that when we're saying, uh, when we're benching on Shabbos, we say ritzay, right? We have uh, ritzay and also there's a harachaman um, that we that we say in our benching to remember Shabbos. The din chazarato im shakach katafti lamala bebirkat hamazon shal. So the Ritzay, that paragraph of Ritzay, you would need to go back for the first two meals if you forgot to say Ritzay, but for the Sudashik sheet, you would not have to go back um, and, and say it again. Um, 
so this this suda, this Friday night suda and the Shabbos day suda, you really aren't supposed to do it without washing. You're really meant to have bread. Um, because they are really the essential uh, meals of Shabbos. And so you therefore are not allowed to have them without bread, okay? Um, so that's just to give you a more of a halakhic context. Um, again, as I said, in terms of the fact that it's Ahamisha, by the way, I do want to mention, there are a lot, a lot of different customs about how many halas to have at the table. People have 12, they have, you know, they have all, all different kinds, all different amounts. So I'm not really commenting on that. You might see different families doing different things, and I'm sure they have sources for all of that. Um, some of them could just be customs from their families, Fardi, Ashkenazi, whatever it is, but there are definitely different customs. Yeah. Why are some people like you can make a cut in the bread before. So the cut in the bread before is so that you it's ready to like there's no there's no break in between. You, you don't have to start cutting. Not there's no hasachadas, there's no order, there's no break in between making the bracha and cutting the bread. Like it, it already has a little cut, so you just continue cutting as opposed to having to start the cut. The truth is, you know, we learned that halacha from Menasha, the king which is interesting because he was a very evil king, right? <laughs> um, but he was a huge Talmud Chacham, and this, this halacha was actually brought down from Anasha, the, the king, to do that. Yeah, to you're do supposed it. to, yeah. My, I mean, my husband does it. I know it's something that, yeah, people do it. It could be more Ashkenazi. Yeah, Safari, so they do with the hands. Even they don't have a Right. I mean, it could be if you have like a pull apart challah, you're not necessarily going to do that. You know what I'm saying? But if you're going to be cutting it, then there is an there is such an idea to to, to make a little cut, not too much, because you don't want it. You want it to still be showing. Yeah. Is this before you bake it? Time this was. No, 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 no. no. This is loaves? No, no, no. This is at the meal itself. Yeah. Right before you, you know, the the person makes hamotz. See, right. So he's gonna, or whatever, he's gonna take a knife and take the challah knife and just make a little, a little slit, like at the top of the challah where he's plant, where they're gonna oh. cutting from, just to like prepare it. You're like preparing it to cut, basically, before you make the bracha. There is such a halacha. Okay. So as I said, the Jews collected a double portion of man on Fridays. Um, and so that they would have enough for Shabbos. So that's where the whole concept of Lecha Mishnah comes from. Um, and as opposed to during the week, and this is more of a Brussels idea that during the week, during the week, we don't do that, right? During the week, you wash, you take a piece of bread and, you know, it's a slice of bread. You don't have to make it on a whole, a whole, we don't do a whole ceremony of like having only a whole thing because there's a spiritual idea that during the week, we're, we're more about like mending things that are broken. Like that's kind of the concept that we're, we're more in that headspace of like fixing things that are broken and making things whole that are incomplete. Um, and so it's okay to take broken pieces of bread, like just taking slices of bread and, and making hamotzi on that. But on Shabbos, Shabbos is all about shleimot. It's all about perfection. It's all about completion. And so when we make hamotzi on Shabbos, we're making it out of, Shabbos is already whole, right? Everything on Shabbos is whole. And so because Shabbos represents the concept of being whole, and we see the world as perfect, so we therefore use two whole loaves. Um, I want to just, I guess, digress a second. I don't know exactly what Leah taught you when she taught you about challah, um, but I do want to talk a little bit about challah just to give some ideas about, about it. Um, first of all, the, the main mitzvah of challah is about being mafresh challah. That's why it's called. Challah is the piece that I take off, right, when I'm baking a certain amount. Um, and there's a lot of halacha involved in that. Um, how much, et cetera, which I'm not going to go into right now, but um, but it's the actual breaking off. And that's one of the mitzvot, by the way. It's one of the mitzvot that we are obligated to do only in Israel. So outside of Eretz Yisrael, it's, it's Durabadam for sure. Like it's oh. not Daraisa. It's only in Eretz Yisrael that it's really Daraisa. Um, and it could be that if it only really applies during the time of being some industrial Daraisa. Mm -hmm. It could be we're also Durabana, and so there it's like Durabana and Durabana. But even so, it's one of the mitzvot hatsuyot ba'arts. We were told that as we came into Arts as well, but that's one of the things we need to do. I just want to say, this does not mean that you all have to bake kala. Okay, you don't have to stress yourself out. If you want to go to a bakery, I am not going to be the one to tell you that no, 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 was in tight. That you have to go and bake challah. Okay, the mitzvah of hafreshes challah means that if you are baking challah, if you're making bread and you're making it enough, it doesn't only have to be challah for Shabbos. If you're making bread in your bread machine, I don't know. If you're making bread during the week, if it's made with enough dough, you have to be mafresh challah, right? Factories, bakeries, they all have to be mafresh challah. Isn't it? 
So I am not pressuring anybody to go out and bake challah. The, the halacha means if you are making challah, you have to, if you are making bread, you have to take off the piece um, and put it aside for the kohen. Again, nowadays, we, you know, that doesn't really apply, but we do it as a, rem you know, as a remembrance to the coming gosh. God bless you. Um, <laughs> um, so, we put it aside as a remembrance of the Hopefully, soon in our days, we'll be able to uh, to give that again as one of the matnos kahuna, one of the gifts that are given to the Kohen so that he's able to continue his holy work without having to worry about uh, making money, etc. Um, so, that's just on a basic level. But that being said, there is something very, very special about baking challah. Um, and if it's something that you feel that you'd like to do, there is a lot of, there are a lot of very beautiful ideas behind it. And I just want to mention a couple of things that challah represents, okay? So challah is actually very connected to the idea of trumas and maizos, right? Everybody knows here also in Eretz right? That there's the concept of when you take, when you eat fruits and vegetables, you have to tie it, right? You have to take trumas and maizos. Uh, why do we do that? Anybody know? What's the point of that? Yeah, so aside from the very technical component of giving the Kohen, uh, you know, food, but there's also a spiritual idea. What are we, what are we representing when we're taking that off? This doesn't come from us, it comes from... Exactly, it's an acknowledgement that in the field, right, God is the one running the show, okay? Yes, the farmer can plant and he can do everything to the T, but he has no control over the weather. He has no control over anything really, right? And we know sometimes things grow, sometimes things don't grow. It's easier almost in the field to kind of be acknowledge that, like we realize that that's out of our control. Um, and okay, field, AKA your office, right? Well, hopefully people, you know, from Jews understand that the parnasa is not does not make sense, right? It's all from Hashem. Why some people do well, some people don't do well. Why some you know startups take off and some don't take off, right? It's all everything's from God. So Jewish and Maestros is there to remind us to keep us or to acknowledge and to give gratitude to God that you are with me in the field and thank you so much for everything. So when we are mafresh challah in our homes, what we're actually doing is acknowledging that what goes on in our home is also from Hashem. It's also in Hashem's domain. We might think, oh, in the field, yeah, that's God's domain. But the house, that's my place. That's my, my domain. And anybody here who's ever cooked, right? Anyone here who's ever done a laundry and it came out pink, right? Anyone who's, you know, anyone who's done anything along those lines knows, hopefully, that God is running the show, right? Sometimes your challah comes out perfect. Sometimes it comes out awful. Sometimes your challah is amazing. Sometimes it's not amazing. It doesn't make sense. Sometimes you, you do the exact same thing, right? And what's even more amazing is you can have five women making the same exact recipe and everybody's challah tastes different, okay? So... It's really incredible. So, so there's a there's a concept of when you're mafresh chala, you're 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 acknowledging that God is also with me at home with everything, all the material and physical aspects that I'm doing. God is with me at home too. That's number one. Chala also is reminiscent of the creation of man. Okay, when God created man, how did He create him? Anybody remember what it says in the, in the psukim? There was a a dew that rose up, right, and wet the dust wet the earth, and then God kneaded it together. And from that, he created Adam, whatever on earth that means, right? We don't really understand that. But essentially, God was making a challah, right? He was, <laughs> he was taking dust, and he was taking water, and he mixed it together, and he fashioned man. And so when we are, and that was, by the way, was a very, that was already considered, man was obviously a very high-level creation. All the other creations that were created up to that point were either made solely from water or solely from earth. Man was the only creature that was created as a combination of the two. And so therefore, he couldn't be sustained by just regular, you know, things that grow all over the place, right? We needed a more highly precise and specialized food, okay? And that's where bread comes in. And bread is very highly specialized. The fact that anyone ever figured out how to make bread is pretty incredible, right? <laughs> you know, you go through all the steps, the first 11 of the 39 malachot are all about baking, <laughs> baking bread, okay? From heart, you know, from all the way from the beginning of plowing and seed seeding and all that kind of stuff. So basically when we are making kala, we are in a, we're sort of in a, uh, we're mimicking, okay? We're mimicking that act that God did of creating man, okay? And so we're also acknowledging that we need a more specialized type of food. And so when we're making bread, 
okay, which is something, again, that doesn't grow on trees. It says at the time of Mashiach, right, in Olam Haba, right, you're going to have donuts and bread growing from the trees, okay, but until that happens, we are, we are making that ourselves. Um, and by the way, there's also a very strong um, power of Roshua, of healing, that, that exists at this time. Um, it's a very, if you, I don't want to get into the whole, like, I guess, negative part of the story, but if you remember the story of Amnon and Tamar, Anybody remember that story? That, oh, she wanted, right, where she, wanted to marry her. Well, he didn't want to marry her. He, he wanted, wanted to have relations with her, right? He wanted to, he basically, he raped her, okay? But uh, he was trying to figure out how to get her up to his room. And, uh, and right, and David, and so, you know, uh, his friend um, told him that he should invite her up to the room. Why? So Amnon faked that he was sick. And in those days, there was a very interesting uh, medicinal you know, uh, ceremony that they did, which was if somebody was sick and they baked the bread in front of them, okay, it was considered a way of healing, okay, because again, for this idea, first of all, the word bara, which means to create, and the word bari, which means healthy, come from the same root, they're the same word, so when I'm in, in, in an act of creation, which is what I'm doing when I'm making challah, right, just like God created Adam, I'm creating a challah here, right, I'm creating an act of creation, so somebody who needs Briut, right? Who's washing me in this, you know, in this, in this state of, you know, Bria, where I am, you know, creation. So they, they become affected by that and it has some kind of medicinal effect. So David Amalek fell for it and he allowed her to go up. And then we all know, unfortunately, what happened. But the point that I'm trying to bring out was that that was something that was normal. That was something that was done in those days. Um, and so, to be honest, I think, you know, nowadays you always hear like 40 women baking kala for somebody who needs a refua, like there is such a thing. So um, I think that that's where it comes from. There is such an idea that baking kala has some kind of additional effect. And I would, I would like to say, I would venture to say that, you know, a person who needs that refua should actually be in that room and they should actually be watching all of these women making that bread for them. I feel like that would really make it much more potent. Anyway, so there is such an idea. So again, we are mimicking the act of creation. Um, there's also a medrash that talks about the idea that when, um, when with the sin of Chava, so unfortunately the three levels of the soul were affected negatively or damaged by this sin. You have the nefesh, the ruach, and the neshama. Okay, these are the three levels of the soul that we have access to. You have Yechida, Yitzira, whatever, that are higher up. But these are the three levels that we have access to in this world. Okay, so I know... Each of the three mitzvot that women have, which is nida, right? Yes. Chala and nero, the candle lighting, each one comes to atone for one of these components. Yeah. Yes. Nefesh, which is like the basic life force, okay, which is it's represented by blood. So that is atoned for through the mitzvah of nida, right? Because that's a very bloody uh, situation. <laughs> that's all that's all that it's about, okay? Just like she brought death into the world, now she worked, you know, she's involved in bringing life into the world. It's a very basic level. Okay, the level of ruach, which is what I want to focus on right now, um, so that actually corresponds to Kala. Now, what's interesting is that Adam Arishon in the Medrash was called Gamar Chalato Shel Olam. He was called the final Chala, like the end product of the world. Again, because God like made him like a Chala, okay? <laughs> So what was amazing about Adam Arishon is that really before the faith, he was purely spiritual, right? We know that he was purely spiritual. He didn't have any Yitzhahara. He was not affected. He didn't have any desires to do anything physical. He was a purely spiritual. I mean, he had a physical body, but he was a, he was a purely spiritual being. And because of the faith, as a result of the faith, now sin, desire wasn't outside of him like it used to be. Now it became integrated. Okay, so it wasn't so clear anymore right as we as we said in the past you know Dessler, you know explains that before the chait doing a sin was like should i put my hand in the fire right of course i wouldn't put my hand in the fire no one would put their hand in the fire that's dangerous that's it's harmful so that's what it was like they, it was like so clear that no of course i'm not going to give in to my desires because it's going to have a negative impact on me after the chait it wasn't so clear anymore right after the chait that's when we that's what we all go through nowadays is it really so bad maybe it's not such a big deal i don't know you know and we're not sure and we give in. Um, so because Chava was responsible for taking a purely physical, spiritual being and infusing it with physicality. So as an atonement for that, we take something purely physical, which is Chal. What can be more physical than a blob of dough? Okay. <laughs> and we infuse it with Ruchnis. We infuse it with spirituality. When we take that 
piece of challah off and we make a bracha on it, it's like we're opening up a portal for, for Hashem to enter, right? We're opening up the sparks of Kedusha in there and we're bringing godliness and spirituality into that food. Okay, so that's an atonement. So there's that level as well. So just, again, something to think about when we are in the process of potentially making challah. Yeah. Um, Jamie, did you say with Chava, she took something that was purely spiritual and infused something physical and we're doing the opposite? Exactly. Thank so you. we're doing it because we want to atone for that. Okay. Um, and then you have Nero, which corresponds to the Neshama, which is the highest level, just as, a, you know, just to kind of finish this all off, right? So um, again, before the Chait, there was pure light, right? Adam Arishon had 100% clarity. There was pure light, and then she brought a darkness into the world. And so to, you know, to uh, combat the darkness, we, we bring light into the world by lighting candles. Okay, and so also just to understand that challah, when we talk about the mitzvah challah, it actually really is representative of all the material things that a woman uh, does in the home. Okay, again, whether it's the laundry, whether it's the cooking, uh, I'll tell you, I, I might have mentioned this before, but it always strikes me. I remember hearing from Rav Pika Setzal, was on a shear of his. Um, it was a whole shear about women and the greatness of women, the power of women, whatever it was, how spiritual they are, blah, blah, blah. At the end, um, you know, he had questions and a woman said, like, if women are so spiritual, why are they involved with such physical things? And he mm -hmm. looked at her like, what are you, like, you could see him like looking at her like it's on the tape. You know what I mean? It's like, you don't see it, but like you can picture it. He's like, he got very animated. And he's like, so first he said to her, what do women do that? What, what does a woman do, do that that's so physical? She's like looking at him like um, cooking, right? <laughs> and he's like, cooking? Cooking is physical? He's like, what is a body without an ashama? Okay, what is a neshama without a body? If you don't have a healthy body, your neshama can't function in this world. You're going to tell me that cooking and nourishing people's bodies is physical? You're allowing the neshama to, to have a place to exist that's healthy, mm -hmm. which is an incredible thing. That's really what eating does, right? Eating is mm -hmm. what ties our neshama to our, our guf. He got like really, and he's very calm usually. He got very <laughs> animated. It was really fascinating to hear it. Mm -hmm. He felt so strongly about the fact. And so the truth of the matter is, is that you know, especially as you're, please God, getting married and, and having a family and, and, and very, women are very, very involved in very physical things for a lot of the day. But the fact is, is that we have a tremendous, tremendous clock to infuse spirituality into these things. Men don't have the same ability as we do. They just don't. They're wired differently. So it's much more difficult for them to be a Mr. Mom. It's just the way it is, okay? Uh, for a woman, we have much more of an ability, much more of a clock to be able to tap into the spirituality behind even the most physical things that we do. So it's not just when you're making your challenge on Shabbos that you're like, yeah, that's really nice. But it's beyond that. It's like you're ironing the shirt. You know what I mean? And you're like, may the, my child who's wearing this shirt, you know, be at learn Torah really well today. You know what I'm saying? Like you can put physical, you can put prayer into anything that you're doing and turn it into something beautiful and meaningful and spiritual. Um, and that's the thing. You can have two women who look exactly the same, who went to the same schools, have the same background, but one woman is like dominating her way through her day as she's doing everything. I don't mean it. I don't mean in a psycho way, I mean in a healthy way, you know what I'm saying? Meaning she's aware that what she's doing isn't just physical. She understands that there's a spiritual component. And you can have another woman who's just going through the motions and doing what she needs to do. They both externally look like they're doing the same thing, but they're accomplishing something very different, okay? And so I think it's so important. The mitzvah of Chala really represents that idea and really reminds us of this, of this idea. So actually, I want to just share with you um, to kind of bring this together. Um, it's an article from the Mishpacha magazine from many, many years ago. Um, there was a, a woman named Esther Sanders who used to have on the back page a, uh, she had her column that she wrote, which I always, sometimes it was a, whatever, sometimes it was amazing. And so this was one of the ones that I found very, very moving. So I just wanted to share it with you. Last Arab Shabbos morning on a walk, I saw two beautiful white doves flying side by side. It seemed with all their strength in the direction of the Kotel. I assumed they were going to the Kotel because a Kotel regular once pointed out to me on one of our Arab Shabbos Kotel visits that the white doves especially come to the Kotel on Arab Shabbos. She said that they're Gilgulim of our Avot and Imahot. I never checked if this is true or not, but something about it hits home. That's how it is with Jewish children, I thought. From wherever we are, we fly home. 
One of my friends whose children have all grown up and kind of flown the coop says, if this is supposed to be empty nested drone, how come my birdies keep coming back home to eat? Erev mm. Shabbos, they come flocking. They smell the soup from the other side of the world. She laughs, but needs it. This same friend has a son whom she always says about, I already knew when he was three that it wasn't going to be easy. Now he's about 18 and it wasn't and isn't. But that same son tells everyone that his mother's chicken soup is the best in the world. He even brings home friends who aren't exactly the chicken soup type to try it. Mm. I have a neighbor whose son is in the army. He called her once from a watchtower in Ramallah. He said he was bored. I think he was more scared. A 19-year-old boy alone in a windowed watchtower surrounded by Arabs. He told his mother that he saw even more hatred in the little Arab children's eyes than in the eyes of the adults. In his boredom, he then proceeded to read over the phone to his mother, the writing on the walls inside the watchtower, left by bored or scared soldiers of the past. One of the writings on the wall read, Ein kamo ochel shal ima. There's nothing like ima's food. About three times a month, sometimes more, a woman in her late 60s or maybe early 70s knocks on our door to collect staka. Each time she comes, of course, we offer her a cup of coffee, a bowl of soup, or more if she has an appetite. The last time she came, she cried about her son. She's told us a few times about his condition, that he's not what others might call stable. Actually, she told us once, he says that he has regular talks with Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron Okoye. Well, you never know, I said. That made her smile, a big toothless smile, which out of embarrassment, she tried to cover with her hand. This time she sobbed. Now they put him in a place. She took out a tiny slip of paper torn off from somewhere with the name and address on it. We saw that it was the name of a mental facility. He only wants to eat my food, she told us. He only says, Ima, your food had the taste of Gan Eden because Gan Eden is in your hands. She held up her hands to show us. And that's the truth. When we put our hearts ourselves into serving our families, they feel it, they taste it. Children flock home, they say they're starving, but it's not only for food. It's for us, it's for the subconscious connection we provide or nurture within them. That connects them to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Bottom line, it's not a Jewish mother's soup that fills her family, but a Jewish mother's heart that comes with the soup. It's beautiful, right? Anyway, so just to kind of end off this idea, I feel like it's just important to understand, you know, especially at Arab Shabbos, you can get so dragged down by all the like cleaning and cooking and everything that you're doing. But to remember what it is that you're really doing, right? The, all the tefillos that you're putting into the things that you're doing are really, really affecting our children, your children. And I wanted to share with you one other thing, and then I'll take the question. Um, this is something that I, I put together a number of years ago. It's actually, oh, shoot, I see that there's a, there's a weird typo on the top. I apologize. All right. Um, anyway, something I put together a number of years ago based on some classes based on the Oharacha, which I teach, but also based on some classes from a, a dear a woman teacher of mine. Um, it's called The Ingredients of a Jewish Home. And basically it goes through a challah recipe and just gives you a little something to think about as you're putting in each one of the ingredients. So I am going to yeah, have to sit down and share this with you. Yeah, Rebecca. Um, what did you say that the narrow, like the, the panels were an atonement for? The neshama that was damaged by uh, by the skin, meaning it, instead of it being purely light and having clarity, now there was a darkness that descended, and so we atone for the darkness with bringing more light into the world. Very loving angels. And the men, like, they have another area where like, they atone for them. I mean, they go out to work. I mean, we also go out to work, but it's really their responsibility to to go out to work and to make a living. Because they have the is a pretty pretty strong curse. Yeah. Sort of similar. It's very beautiful to hear these things, but like what we are responsible for, have a privilege of being responsible for. When these things are shared with men, like these are the things that women do, like how does that land? Women have this unbelievable to take things that are physical and infuse the spiritual, and they're uniquely able to do that. That could land in all kinds of ways. So I have a dad who's an amazing cook and like was a great single dad kind of situation. So when you share these things to men, what are some, every man is different, sure, but like, what are some of the ways right. that every man, look, every man is for sure different. Yeah. We're talking in generalities, totally. okay? In generalities, the way that women are wired versus the way men are wired is just different. Are there going to be amazing, I, I have a good friend also, she works and her husband is, takes, takes care of the kids. It's just the way it worked out. He's very capable of working, but it just kind of, that's how he evolves. I'm sure he's wonderful and I'm just, whatever, but again, I don't know. I wonder if I sat down and had a conversation with him and was able to ask, I don't want to be too personally with him, but I'm saying right. if I was able to really ask that question, like, yeah. how, how, do you, how do you feel about this? Like, how, how, how is this, like, how is this impacting you? Have you felt like you've been able to like really accomplish what spiritually what you need to accomplish? And then he also spends time learning and, and, and things like that as well. But I don't know. 
I wonder. I mean, I, again, I, I, I am just talking in generalities. In generalities, if a man is charged with staying home and doing, again, I'm not saying that women don't work. Please don't take no, this the wrong totally way. You understand what I'm saying. Yeah. But, but it, I think it's understood in a traditional you know, Jewish home. The women are the ones who are responsible at least for what's going on in the home and making sure everything is taken care of. Even if you hire a cook and a cleaning lady and a, and a butler, like enjoy yourself. But right. it falls on us generally to make sure that things are, are going smoothly. Um, but again, you know, I think by, by nature, women are just, they have, doesn't they always do it, Jamie, that's sure. point, meaning it's very, in my opinion, this is easy, but women are able to do it and feel fulfilled. They're, they're, they're able to do it and connect spiritually. Whereas for a man, if this is what he was doing all day, every day, he would go out of his kishkas a little bit. It's like the, the, uh, the PSX that actually like, he compares this to a, a wrestler. Okay, who you put into a gem, like a, a, a gem cutting workshop. Um, you have this big strapping guy who just wants to like roll around and wrestle, and you're putting him here and he has to cut the old gems. It's like the guy's gonna go bazonkers, right. right? And this is actually what Paro did, by the way, in Mitzrayim. They say that Paro, he gave men the women's work and yes. women the men's work. And the truth is, is that, you know, you can think to yourself, well, you know, the men got off easy, right? Because they got to do the women's work. They didn't have to schlep and whatever. And he's like, you don't understand. Like for the men to have to do that was really challenging for them, especially to watch their wives have to do the, you know what I'm saying? It's not, it's not so simple. So I'm sure your dad's a wonderful cook. And I'm sure he, you know, again, it, not to say that they're stoned and they can't connect spiritually at all, but it's much more in our, in our cloth to be able to do that. It's much more for in our ability to be able to, to thrive in that situation. That's, that's probably the best word. Are you thriving or are you not thriving? Right? Can I, can I ask? My, my brain went to two places. I just want to see if it makes sense. Like, one is there's like a beautiful idea that like we're complementary. And so if the, if the message is that women have this and men have something else, like we're just like so admiring of like, oh, what a gift it is that you have this ability and I have a complementary ability. That's like one frame. Yes. And another, which I guess is maybe like more gendered, modern conceptions of like, but does everybody have little pieces of both? Like, may men have a, a sense of this also, or that's kind of like not the way the gender gets conceived of in this world? Again, we all, have, like women have male qualities and men have women qualities okay. and 100%, like, across 100%, there's no question. It's just in a woman, the woman qualities are more pronounced and in a man, the man qualities are more pronounced, okay. but it doesn't mean that they don't exist. Even hormonally, we have testosterone. Like right. we also, and they have, you know, like we, we, we have a little bit of each there are definitely, you know, and some men are more feminine, right? And so I don't even mean gay men, I'm saying even just some regular men, you know what I'm saying, who are like straight, whatever, they are more feminine, right? And you have women who are much more masculine. But we're talking again, bigadol is in general, okay, this is tends to be something that a woman can connect to more, okay, and thrive in that environment more than a man would. Okay? Yeah. How do you classify it? Like for a man to be like cutting gems, like like doing like would you say like women are better for like particular like focused work and like the classifications? Um, I I don't, I don't want to get I don't want to get too bogged down by that exact example. If that that example was just there to kind of explain that the concept of like you're putting to completely deny that nature and do something that's not in your nature, mm -hmm. okay? And that's really what we're seeing. I don't want to get into the picky one, you know what I mean? Um, but I would say, you know, the, the whole, you know, the, the Gemara that talks about Nashim Das and Chalas Aleichem, right, which a lot of women get crazy about, but their, their, their Das is light, you know, you've heard these, this kind of thing before and people use it, you know, it's a, whatever. People get upset about it, just like they get upset about the Bracha, Shalas, Isha. You know, it's one of those, you know, things that women who have feminine, you know, feminist, I guess, you know, uh, leanings get very upset about it. But I think they don't really understand necessarily, you know, it's taken sort of out of context, um, which again, I don't want to go into that so much right now, but I do want to mention that that ability, means that women have the ability to focus on a lot of things at the same time. We can multitask. Men have a very, very hard time multitasking. They just do. Can you imagine a guy, you know, nursing the baby, you know, cooking <laughs> dinner on the phone, you know, helping the kid with the homework all at the same time? Like, this is a woman's day, okay? This is what she does. He, he can't do it. Like, that's why they have more of an ability to learn Gemara because they can hyper-focus. You know what I'm saying? They don't get distracted. They can see and, you know, laser vision. I'm in the moment right now. So if you ask your husband to do something, he'll usually do that thing. 
but he won't do the things that come along with it that like a woman would normally oh naturally just do, right? You know what I'm all laughing, so you all know exactly what I'm saying, okay? We just see a bigger picture, okay? And then we tend to not see a picture. That's just one example, okay? Um, so we that 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 ability of ours, that's a call of ours to enable us to be able to function in that context, you know? And, and for a guy, it's much more difficult because how can he do that, you know? Um, Rina, did you have a question? Where are you? In water. Oh, at the top. No, there's it says HTP something or other all the way like under the title oh, before the first, yeah. There's some random link that's on so there. I'm not going to show what that is. Oh, that should say that. that. Yes, that should say that. Sorry. Okay, we'll have to go back and uh, this has gone through a lot of juggling. <laughs> okay, anyway, let's move on. Uh, so now we're going to talk more in depth about the three actual suudas that we're going to eat, what they represent. Because um, again, this is like the main the main event of Shabbos is, is meals that we're saying and eating together. Okay, so let's look at the same page I showed you before, the last halacha on the bottom where it says Kitzah Shofanara. Um, okay, it says Tetzayin. Kol Adam Yisrael ben Ish ben Isha chayvim la'achol v'shabbat shalosh se'udot. Achat b'layla u'shtayin b'yom. So every single person, man and woman, are obligated to eat three meals on Shabbos, one in the evening and two in the day. And you really are ideally obligated to eat bread with each one of the meals. He says, really, you should be makbid to eat pot, right? To have bread even by so he says you should really be careful not to get so full by lunch that you're not going to be able to have any room to eat your sudashi sheet. So in the winter, that's obviously much more challenging because it's a short day. In the summer, usually by the time sudashi sheet rolls around, we tend to be a little bit hungrier. But you still should have that in mind to eat one last piece of cocoa, I don't know, just to leave yourself a little bit of room. But if you literally just like cannot bring yourself to eat bread. You just cannot. So ideally you should have at least something you can make in the zonos. If you can have bread, at least a cookie, uh, something that you can, a rugelach, something you can make in the zonos on, ideally if you can. And if you mamish cannot bring yourself to put down a piece of cake, then he said you should at least eat something that is the normal fashion is to like wipe up, wipe it up with bread, like, um, you know, like gravy from chicken or, or fish or something. You should have something with part of a meal, okay, that you would normally eat with a piece of bread at least, okay, but if you're not going to actually eat the bread. And if you cannot even bring yourself to do that, at least eat some kind of fruit, ideally like some kind of cooked fruit, maybe a compote or something like that. So the right time of day to eat, to, the, the first time of day that you're allowed to start eating Sudashli sheet is by Mincha Gedola, which is the first time that you're allowed to start saying Mincha. So uh, on a regular, like nowadays, it's about 1.15, something along those lines. That means you don't have to eat it then, but that's when you can start eating it. It's basically six hours after things, okay? That's when you can start eating it. Um, okay, so that's just Nitzad the Halacha, so we're all clear. Uh, again, no guilt, but we want to try to do the best we can to uh, Sudan Shishik is always super challenging, I think, for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Are you saying throughout like 115? I'm saying by at 1.15 is the first time, it's like the beginning of the time that you're allowed to start eating Sudash. Uh, you know what, I'll give you an example. We did this on, on Shavuos, okay? Because Shavuos was a two-day yantif, right? And so it was Shabbos that went into Shavuos. So we knew like we were going to have to eat a, like, a proper meal at night. We didn't want to eat lunch so late, right? Like regular time and then have to eat Sudash Lishit later and then have another meal right after. So we had like kiddush in the morning we waited till about two o'clock and then we had we washed again basically we washed like had a kiddush in the morning we washed 
bench that was like lunch, okay? And then we washed again at like two o'clock and that was considered Sudashli sheet so that we didn't have to, once we were done with that meal, we didn't have to eat again for the rest of the day. Understand? So we were able to eat earlier. Obviously you have to, you know, depending on the time of year, we'll determine how early you can do that, okay? Okay, so I'm gonna try to make this as clear as possible. But basically the three meals of Shabbos can represent a number of different things. I'm gonna go through each meal and I'm gonna, I'm gonna mention how each one of the meals represents one of these four things, okay? Uh, or each of these four things, I should say. First one, we're gonna talk about how each meal represents the three ascending levels of Kedusha, which is actually something that you will see um, in most ventures, um, or at least maybe Sfard or Sfardi ventures for sure. Um, Askinu Sudasa, anybody ever see that in the venture before the meal, Askinu Sudasa? Usually people will sing it as Shalashuris, but there's Askinu Sudasa for every meal. Um, and each one, you know, gives Shabbos a different name, that part of the day gives that part of Shabbos a different name. And I'm going to go through that with you. Okay. So there's three ascending levels of Kedusha. There's three stages of a wedding, meaning each one of the meals is connected to or corresponds to three stages of a wedding. They also, the three meals corresponds to the three um, main Shabbatot in history. And finally, um, they refer to the three different dwelling places in the Beit HaMikdash. Okay, so we're going to go through each one of the meals and describe how each one connects to these four things. Okay, so Friday night, um, I'll write this down on the board for you. This is in Kitzvah No, this is not in Kitzvah <laughs> Okay, actually the, the, the idea about it, well, again, corresponding to the three levels of Kedusha, that's just some in your bench. I mean, that's that there are Kabbalistic it's definitely Kabbalah. There's Kabbalistic, more mystical uh, prayers that are put into a lot of ventures uh, to say before each one of the meals, okay? The three stages of a wedding, um, actually, you can see uh, in terms of Shemona Esrei, you know how in Shemona Esrei on Shabbos, the main paragraph is different for each one. It's not like during the week where mm -hmm. it's the same Shemona Esrei, right? Each one has a different starting, right? right? So each one of those, we'll see how that, that actually points out how they connect to a wedding. Um, and the three Shabbat in history, that's actually in the Torah, in the Archaim. Okay, he brings that down. Um, okay, so I'm going to erase this. Okay, I'm going to write it on the board. Please note that this is Aramaic. Okay, so I will explain the word to me. But Friday night is... Chaka Tapuchin Kadishin. Okay, which is translated as a holy apple orchard. Okay, Chaka is an orchard, Tapuchin is Tapuach, right? Is apple. Kadishin is holy. So this is Friday night. Okay, so what exactly do we mean by that? Okay, so the, 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 the orchard of holy apples is the meal on Friday nights, and this means really our ability to find Hashem through the physical world that he like planted for us, right? God planted us this beautiful physical world and like Avram Avinu, right? He discovered God through seeing nature, right? If, if there is an orchard, it must mean that someone planted the orchard, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what Friday night, Friday night is about seeing the world that God created and realizing that he is the one who created the world, okay? Um, so it's like coming to Amuna through nature. What? Uh, no, I'm just bringing, I'm just bringing that up as an example that he's not necessarily connected. Okay, I'm just saying he was the person who, who he's an example of someone who did that, right? Um, okay, so chakal tapukin kadishin. That's in terms of the ascending level. That's the, the the bottom level. Okay, in terms of the stage of the wedding, this is the stage of kiddushin. Now, if you remember when we spoke about Kabbalah Shabbat, right? We said one of the ways that we um, connect to uh, or relate to the Shechina is as a Right. right, exactly, as a kala. Okay, and we said, we'd stand at the, you know, what does a chassan do? A chassan stands at the chuppah waiting to receive his kala so he can bestow, he can be makadeshar, he can bestow kedusha, kedushin, right, separating her for, for himself. Okay, he can bestow kedushin on, on her. So that's what this, that's what this is, this ataki dashta, right? Those are the words of Shmon Asrei for, for Mariv, okay? So it's all about this concept of kedushin, where we are, again, separating, first of all, the Jewish people were, have been separated to keep Shabbos out of everybody else, right? It's something that's a special gift just for the Jewish people. Um, and again, we're relating to Shabbos as a kala, 
And we have to understand that the more we, you know, pro are proactively involved in Shabbos, the more Kedusha there's going to be in Shabbos. Um, so that's the stage of the wedding. In terms of which Shabbos, which main Shabbos this represents, so this represents the Shabbos of, anybody want to take a guess? What was the first Shabbos that ever existed? Creation, Shabbos of creation, Shabbos of Rishi. Okay, so, you know, as we acknowledge, we spoke about last time, we acknowledge in Kiddush, okay, and that's really what Shabbos is essentially all about, is acknowledging that Hashem created the world. It's a testimony that God created the world, and therefore he's in, in, he's in control. He's in control of everything that happened, everything that will happen, everything that is happening. God runs the world, okay? So that is the Shabbos of Rishit. Um, but again, we're not just, you know, celebrating a Shabbos that happened years, thousands of years ago. This Shabbat of Rishit is something that we, that component of you know, testimony that God created the world and, just, and chose to rest, right, and, and, and hold it back from, you know, continuing to create on Shabbos. That is something that we do every Shabbos. So we're connecting to that first Shabbos that ever existed, okay, by doing that. Yeah. So the idea, like, for, like, the Chagim, like, this month, like, this morning, like, like, work, you have to say Shabbat? Yeah, we, I'm not sure what you're, I, I want to make sure I understand what you're asking. So, um, I'm going to say what I think you're saying, okay? Because I think we mentioned this last week also. With the Chag, we understand that every Chag has its own Kalach, and we believe that we're not just celebrating a historical event, but we're actually connecting to the energy. Yes, we're connecting to the energy of that first Shabbos of creation, every single Shabbos that we that we keep. Okay, and then in terms of the dwelling place in the base of Megiddo, so there's a Pasuk, just so you should know, on Perak um, Samache of Tehillim. The Pasuk that, uh, that, that this is based on is as follows. Ashrei Tivchar Utakarev. Okay, so praiseworthy is the one who chooses and comes close. Yishkon b'chatzeracha, okay, he dwells in your chatzer, okay, in your courtyard. Nisba'atu betacha, he's satisfied from the goodness in your home, in your bayit. Bekadoshe chalacha, and the holiness of your sanctuary, okay? So there are three components here, okay? Ashrei tivcha utakari, that's like the introduction, and then it goes through the three parts of the Besamidash. Yishkon chateracha, okay, dwelling in your chatzer, Okay, that is Shabbos, right? What is a what is what is a chatzer? And in the base of Migdash, what was the chatzer or the azara? Do you know the courtyard? That was where they first went into the base of Migdash. So again, we're talking about Friday night. This is where we first enter into Shabbos. Okay, so that is Friday night is compared to this first entrance way into the base of Migdash. Okay, the azara. Um, okay, and so now we're going to go on to Shabbos day. Yeah. Which did Samachay. So, can you translate the Yes. Chakal is the holy, is the orchard of the <coughs> apples or the holy apple orchard. Yeah. Along these lines. Yeah. And in the last lines, you said from Hillam Samachay, he dwells in the courtyard, he says, by the goodness of the home, and Kadosh Hechalecha, sanctify your Hechal, your, your sanctuary. Okay. So, we didn't get to the other two yet. We just said yeah. the first one, Yishkon B'chatzerecha, is Friday night. What? Dwelling. Which word? Dwelling. Dwelling. Oh, to live. I'm sorry. I didn't hear what you said. Dwell. Dwell means to live. To, to, yeah. Okay. Shabbos day. Okay. Shabbos day is referred to as Okay. Which means the ancient holy one. Okay. That's what it's, that's how we translate this. The ancient holy one. Um, and essentially, Shabbos day, now again, I, if, let's make it clear. And I hope you can see, we're going to be progressing, right? We're starting from the lower levels of Kedusha as Shabbos is first coming in, and we're ascending levels, okay? So whereas yesterday, right, whereas Friday night, we were connecting to the fact that God created this amazing world, and we can connect to Hashem through nature, through what he created, and we can find him within the physical world. This is already now a higher level. This is where I actually see Hashem, himself okay well, actually he um compares friday night to shabbos day he said friday night is like seeing a painting right i see a painting i'm like oh somebody must have painted this right there must be a painter if there's a painting right there must be a planter if there's an orchard like we said about friday night shabbos day is not only do i see the painting but i actually see the painter mm. okay i have a through a lens i see the painter himself okay so again i am already 
ascending to a bit of a higher level. I have more clarity. It's more intensive. Um, okay, as far as the stage of the wedding, so based on the words in Shwana Asrei that from the paragraph into the main paragraph in Shwana Asrei, Yitzmach Moshe, right? Moshe was happy, right? So this is the stage of Simcha at a wedding, right? The happiness of the wedding. They're married, we're finally together, right? There's a, there's that amazing Simcha that exists at a wedding. So that's what, uh, we're, yeah, we're, delight, we're delighting in finally being able to be together with Hashem and realizing how much Hashem loves us, right? It's like you're staring at your husband, staring at you. We're so happy we're finally together, right? We, we did this, okay? Baruch Hashem. Okay, in terms of the Shabbos in history, this corresponds to the Shabbos of, anyone want to take a guess? Yes, you get the prize. Okay, <laughs> the Shabbos of Matan Torah. Okay, so again, what was unique about Matan Torah is that we saw God himself at Matan Torah, mm -hmm. right? And that they, remember, the Jews, like, they died, right? And they had to be resuscitated because they, they actually saw, they heard God himself, they saw God himself. It's not just discerning his existence from the physical world, but it's actually realizing, you know, that they're seeing God himself. It's the revelation of God himself, okay? Just as Rene Israel had in Matan Torah. So that's the Shabbos that this connects to. And then as far as the, the what the part of the Beis Hamikdash, so Nisfa Abituv Beitacha, right? We're going to be satiated from the goodness of your of your bayit. So this actually represents the main part of the Beis Hamikdash, which is the room where the menorah was, where the Mizbeach was, where the Shulchan was, right? Where all of the, except for the Aron, right? Where all of the main um, instruments or, what's a better word, vessels were that were used in the Beit HaMikdash. Um, okay, and here we delight in Hashem and we delight in His goodness, okay? Everything is more revealed in this place. Okay, so now we are going to the last and holiest part of Shabbos, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we realize that because usually... The afternoon, we sort of sleep away, we play cards, you know what I'm saying? But again, we're saying, if we're saying that the first time that we can eat Shabbat sheet is at the beginning of, it's really early actually, right? That means that like this, what I'm going to tell you right now, really applies to like most of Shabbos day. But a lot, and again, I'm not saying this, sleeping is good, okay? And we're going to talk about sleeping next time and menucha, whatever. We're going to talk about rest and what that actually means. Um, and it's okay to take your Shabbos nap or whatever. Um, but we should take extra care and really try to understand what this time of day is really about. What are the cocos of this time? Okay. So there are actually two ways of referring to, uh, to this time of day. I'm going to do them separately. One is called Zeir Anpin. Okay. Zeir Anpin is a miniature presence. Okay. Zeir Anpin. The air anpin is like a miniature. It's like in, it's like concise. It's like small, condensed. That's probably the better word. Okay, which is really reminiscent or representative of what we call the midat hazin. Okay, uh, the time of the midah, the attribute of justice. Um, also, I would call it a time of what we would call ketzer apayim, which means like shortness of not breath, shortness, like short, shortness of fuse, so to speak. When we say someone has cats or pine, it means they, get, they can get sort of angry, short-tempered or, okay, so what do we mean here? So we have to understand, Shabbos itself, right, generally is a, is a day of compassion, it's a day of rachamim, it's a day of chesed, it's a day of love and all that kind of stuff, okay? But as the day progresses and we are transitioning ourselves back into the rest of the week, okay, which is not so compassionate. So we need to, God is being kind to us, believe it or not. He's trying to transition us slowly. He's like, you know, again, imagine you're on this super, super high level of like, whoa, super intensity. And then you're just dropped. No, he doesn't want to do that to us. Okay. So we have the, day, the rest of the afternoon to slowly like integrate everything that Shabbos has to offer, but like sort of come back down to earth, right? So like Friday night, Shabbos morning, we're just like, wow, you know, like floaty, you know, and now we need to sort of get back down to earth, but in the holiest of ways, okay, that's, that, that's something that's important to understand, okay, so if Hashem interacted with us with endless compassion, 
which is what Shabbos morning is all about, okay, then the wicked people, right, evil in the world would just proliferate because what does God do? And we'll learn this, please, God and Elul, when we learn about Tomer Devorah and God's attributes. God, his Midas Harachimim says, you did something wrong, I'm going to give you some time, right? I'm going to give you some time to come to realize that you made a mistake, you'll do tshuva, it'll be great, okay? I'm not going to just run in and give you a, a punishment right away. I, I'm going to give you, I want, I want you to come to it on your own. I want you to see that you made your mistake on your own. So God gives us time. Compassion, endless compassion or pure compassion would mean God is just sitting back and giving us time. So in that way, the evil people are just like having a blast, right? They have free reign, they're just going, okay? And so they, the world can be destroyed like that, okay? Because God is making them to do tshuva. So din, Bringing, introducing din into the world, introducing justice into the world really prevents this from happening, okay? And so as the day is slowly starting to blend into the nighttime, we see that compassion is slowly starting to blend with din, okay? It's slowly starting to blend with justice, okay? And when that happens, that's the perfect balance of how Hashem runs the world. We understand that. I think all of us know that. The world would not exist if it was pure compassion, and it would certainly not exist if it was pure din. We really need that perfect balance of, of both of those things, okay? And so um, so as the day ebbs away, right, we begin this transition to the days of the week by reintroducing din into our universe, okay? Because it was something that we sort of took out of the diet for Shabbos, but now we have to reintroduce it back into the diet. And so the time of Sudash Lishi is when din and rachamim are really blending. And that's when we say, Ata echad, echad, right? What does that mean? You are one. And this is why, think about when we say Shema, okay? Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. For those of you who are here when we learned six times in Mitzvah, we learned Shema. What does it mean, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad? Hashem, Yudke Vavke, is God's attribute of compassion, okay? Elokeinu is God's attribute of, of justice, of din. And what are we saying? Shema Yisrael, right? Listen, Jewish people, Hashem Elokeinu, the God of compassion and the God of justice, it's all one. Mm -hmm. That means everything comes from the same source, right? To me, it might look awful, right? But I believe God is kind and compassionate. So it has to be by definition that what is going on right now is coming from a place of compassion. It just has to be, okay? It's all coming from the same place. It's all coming from the same source. And Din and Rachamim are really two sides of the same coin, if you really think about it. They're really working in tandem together, okay? And so everything really is for our best. And so this is the time, as I said, when the Kedusha of Shabbos you know, think about the chowing that you ate, sort of like waking, working its way through your body. I don't know if it makes you feel good or not. I know it kind of makes me feel kind of gross when your job is, but hopefully the kadusha that you're ingesting is also making its way through your body. And you're also sort of ingesting it and it's, it's integrating itself into your body. And so now I can really start to like fix things. You know what I'm saying? Now I can get a really good sense of like, how can I make myself better, right? How can I fix things? Um, you know, in myself. Okay. Another term, another way, another name that this is called is Rabba Darabin. Okay. This is just another Aramaic term for, it's another Aramaic name um, for Shabbos, Rabba Darabin, which means um, will of wills. Okay. It means will of wills, meaning what? What is Hashem's overriding ratzon? What is Hashem overriding what? What is his ratzon in terms of how he interacts with us, right? He wants to interact with us, as I said, with compassion. He wants to do chesed. Sometimes people will say, why did God create the world? Because he wanted to do chesed. He has so much chesed. He just wanted to give and give. He created a world so he could bestow chesed. Okay? That's what motivates him. That's what motivates everything that God does. It's ultimately chesed. Again, even if it doesn't look to us like it's chesed, but that's what's ultimately motivating God. Um, in terms of how he's interacting with us, okay? And so this is also a time for us to think about, okay? What is our will of wills, right? God's will of wills is to do chasen. What is my will of wills, mm -hmm. okay? What's, what's the unifying factor in all of the decisions that I make and all of the things that I do, okay? And it's really this concept of din and racham and being one that is going to accompany us into the rest of the week, okay? Because I can't just go into the week thinking like floating around, like, oh yeah, God's commitment compassion, right? I, I have to, it's this that's going to bring me into the rest of the week and allow me to be able to, to function 
right? And it's like the honeymoon phase is over, you know, and the honeymoon, like, oh, everything's amazing, right? And now you sort of come down from the honeymoon phase and you roll up your sleeves and you're like, okay, now I got to get to work. Okay, this isn't just going to be uh, coconuts and sunshine. Like, we have to roll up our sleeves. We have to get to work. Um, and it's that avoda, it's that ed- energy and effort that you put into the relationship that's allowed you, that's going to enable you to get through the harder times, right? And so it's this understanding of din and rahm and working together and how I, what is my will, right? What is my true zone and how can I fix myself and work on myself? That's really, that avoda is what's going to enable you to be able to have that special relationship with Hashem. Okay, so I think we're going to stop here and we'll finish up about Sudashi Shi uh, next, next week.